Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views, premium seats in all rows, and connected tech, while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy nonstop routes to summer, because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to $3,500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, 3500 on 2020 row consists of 3000 cash back and 500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 7-6-2020. Sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. What the hell is that? There's no one else here, that infernal ringing. Who are you? Gary Hoffman. I was raised to do one thing. Shannon Farron. Nothing will stand in our way. The Force. It's calling to you. Gary and Shannon. Just that service this morning for George H.W. Bush. You know, Alan Simpson began writing his eulogy six years ago. Uh, I don't, I can't wrap my head around this. You and I, I was thinking about this on the way in as I was listening to part of this. You and I have the luxury, I guess, if, if you want to look at it that way, the luxury of not having had to bury our parents and i thought of what george w bush has gone through he and his brothers and sister have gone through over the course of the last few days just no even if you know you know they knew that dad was sick and uh george w referred to getting the phone call hey your dad doesn't have very much time you know much time and if you want to talk to him now's the time um it's the- when the last parent dies yeah. I think you go through something major when it's, both your parents are gone. And 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 we watched them do that in a very public way. I yeah. mean, not that we're, you know, seeing their movements every day, but the fact that they're up there, the fact that George W. Bush gave, what was it, eight or ten minutes or whatever it was in terms of talking about his father's life, not just as a president, but also as a father and as a family man and, and a funny guy and a, a loving husband. Those types of things um, to be said in front of an international audience has got to be very, very difficult, let alone the fact that you're saying this eulogy about your own father. I mean, that's just a I was thinking about that, but it was you're right. It was just an absolutely beautifully done, very well done uh, ceremony at the National Cathedral today. 
So there were, there were a couple things actually that that I heard that I thought we wanted to play again. Right now, the speaking is all done. Um, the honor guard, the military honor guard, the pallbearers have just lifted up the casket off of the podium there, and they'll be carrying it back out to the hearse. Eventually, the body will be making its way back to Texas for burial at College Station at the George H.W. Bush Presidential Library. So there were you heard most of the uh, George W. Bush eulogy just a few minutes ago when Handel played it. But former Senator Alan Simpson also spoke before George W. And he said, yes, he began writing this eulogy six years ago when the former president was in the ICU back in 2012, hospitalized for weeks. It looks like he was not going to survive that bout with fever, bronchitis. And the longtime chief of staff, Gene Becker, got in touch with Simpson, told him the family wanted him to eulogize Bush when the time came. So he sat down to write this eulogy, and he said, you cry while you're preparing it, so you won't cry while you're giving it. Yeah, and he didn't, but man, you could tell he sure could have. But he often said, when the really tough choices come, it's the country, not me. It's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's for our country that I fought for. And he was a man of such great humility. Those who travel the high road of humility in Washington, D.C. are not bothered by heavy traffic. (laughs) And uh, he had a very serious flaw known by all close to it. He loved a good joke, the richer the better, and he'd throw his head back and give that great laugh, but he never, ever could remember a punchline. (laughs) And I mean never. So the punchline for George Herbert Walker Bush is this. You would have wanted him on your side. He never lost his sense of humor. Humor is the universal solvent against the abrasive elements of life. That's what humor is. He never hated anyone. He knew what his mother and my mother always knew. Hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. Some just great lines from from the former senator there uh, who was a longtime friend. And like you said, was asked a long time ago to, uh, to write the eulogy or a eulogy for what we would see. In this uh, ceremony today. They had a friendship that began in 1962 in one of those, as the Washington Post writes it up, in one of those only in Washington ways. Simpson's father was elected to the Senate from Wyoming, and he took over the office of a retiring Connecticut senator, Prescott Bush, the father, right? Then when Alan Simpson's father retired after one term, he sold his house to George H.W. Bush, who had just been elected to Congress from Texas. That's great. Uh, I wanted to play for you a couple of things. We'll, we'll take this break relatively early. I, there's two things. I wanted to play for you the last couple of minutes of George W. Bush's eulogy, which was beautiful. Uh, and then the one that uh, I thought sort of slipped under the radar today was John Meacham, a biographer, a longtime biographer, an author, wrote a bunch of books about presidents and their biographies. His description of George H.W. Bush and his role in the world, I thought, was pretty poetic. One of my favorite parts of George W. George W.'s eulogy is when he said that uh, his father always said, you want to live as 
young as you can, as long as you can. Yeah. And then talked about how he was jumping out of airplanes when he was 90 years old. And uh, the Secret Service couldn't catch up with him when he'd take his boat out on the Atlantic, the Fidelity. Uh, and this was just a handful of years ago. All right. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. I want you forever. Watching the pallbearers carry the casket, the flag draped casket of former President George H.W. Bush. They're going to put it in the back of the hearse and take it away from the National Cathedral after this morning's funeral service for the former president. Um, the family, the Bush family, led by George W., standing out just on the steps of the National Cathedral, watching the uh, body of their father being put into the uh, into the hearse. There were a couple of things we wanted to play for you before we uh, move on from this story today. One of them was part of the eulogy from an historian and biographer, a guy named John Meacham, wrote a book about a bunch of presidents, but including George H.W. Bush. And he started, well, well, we'll start from his story about the president when he was 20 years old, having been shot down uh, over Japan. And we pick it up right when he's talking about the plane is damaged. He knows the plane is going to go down. Yet he kept the plane in its 35-degree dive, dropped his bombs, and then roared off out to sea, telling his crewmates to hit the silk. Following protocol, Lieutenant Bush turned the plane so they could bail out. Only then did Bush parachute from the cockpit. The wind propelled him backward, and he gashed his head on the tail of the plane as he flew through the sky. He plunged deep into the ocean, bobbed to the surface, and flopped onto a tiny raft, his head bleeding, his eyes burning, his mouth and throat raw from salt water. The future 41st President of the United States was alone. Sensing that his men had not made it, he was overcome. He felt the weight of responsibility as a nearly physical burden, and he wept. Then, at four minutes shy of noon, a submarine emerged to rescue the downed pilot. George Herbert Walker Bush was safe. The story, his story, and ours would go on by God's grace. Through the ensuing decades, President Bush would frequently ask, nearly daily, he'd ask himself, why me? Why was I spared? And in a sense, the rest of his life was a perennial effort to prove himself worthy of his salvation on that distant morning. To him, his life was no longer his own. There were always more missions to undertake, more lives to touch, and more love to give. And what a headlong race he made of it all. He never slowed down. On the primary campaign trail in New Hampshire once, he grabbed the hand of a department store mannequin asking for votes. 
When he realized his mistake, he said, never know, gotta ask. <laughs> you can hear the voice, can't you? As Dana Carvey said, the key to a Bush 41 impersonation is Mr. Rogers trying to be John Wayne. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. And, and the, just his description of all of the other crew members on that plane were lost. And George H.W. Bush, from that day forward, whether he talked about it or not, whether he acknowledged it on a daily basis or not, would, would ask himself why he was the one who was spared after that plane was shot down. And the idea that the reason he got into public service, the reason he was the man that he was, was as a debt to the guys that he lost that day. It was all about volunteerism and his thousand points of light. Meacham put that alongside Abraham Lincoln's call to honor the better angels of our nature when it comes to the rhetoric in our country's history. And Meacham called those lines companion verses in America's national hymn. And thousand points of light was a uh, was a refrain that you heard from uh, that you heard about today. Uh, George W. saying that he was the brightest of the thousand points of light. You know, when you compare this, and I've seen a lot of comparisons between this. I mean, just when you're looking at the list of presidents, by the way, who were there, all of the living presidents were there, and all of the living first ladies for the first time. That it, they will compare that to, say, for example, Senator McCain's funeral yes. just a couple of months a ago. A lot of similarities for feelings between those two men, by the way, at least in my opinion. Um, two guys that were able to overcome politics, cross the aisle, do it with dignity, have character, not, not, get, not get dirty about it. Yeah. And the one thing I would say that was different was in the John McCain funeral, the family took opportunity to to go after people. I mean, they were clear when Megan McCain got up and spoke, it was clear she was targeting her comments. Yeah, but she's also a talk radio host. She's got an agenda. I know that sounds terrible, but she also made a lot of headlines for that. But they, they left politics completely out of it, but it was definitely that it was definitely a John McCain flavor to it. There was definitely that maverick attitude sort of uh, to this. And this was a much more gentle thing. The last thing to play for you from this, we'll talk more about it through the course of the day, but the last thing to play for you is just the last couple of minutes from George W. Bush, the final eulogy of the day and what he had to say about his father. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmasked skill, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st President of the United States said this, we cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us? Or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship? Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you. 
a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding Mom's hand again. That was the that was the end of about a eight nine minute eulogy it was for George W. Perfection from start to finish. You forget what a great orator George W. was. Yeah, is it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be poetic. It doesn't have to you know no, it be was, flowery it or anything. Was, it was a very public, private eulogy. It was the eulogy of a son, not of a, a president or a former president to another former president. It was like you were at the private family funeral. It was very personal. Yeah. Anyway, that that was a good. It was a good way to uh, sort of put a bow on the life of uh, George H. W. Bush. The the hearse now just now leaving the National Cathedral, on its way to. Uh, Joint base Andrews, I guess it is, and then they're going to fly to Texas, make their way from Texas uh, into College Station, Texas, aboard that train for the uh, official burial tomorrow. Coming up next, we talked about it yesterday, the least wanted job in Hollywood. Well, it has been filled. We now know who's hosting the Oscars next year. We'll tell you all about it and what you watch on Wednesday when we return. Gary and Shannon will continue. The uh, casket, the hearse carrying the casket of former President George H.W. Bush is on its way now to Joint Base Andrews for the trip aboard, again, the giant 747 to take the body back to Texas for burial. It's going to go past the World War II Memorial here in just a few minutes. And some of the uh, streets along Washington, D.C., along this route, just lined with people who are going to watch the uh, procession as it makes its way through. There was also a nice moment this morning where... Uh, just before everything got underway in the National Cathedral, President Bush, W. Bush, came by and said hello to the presidents that were sitting on the opposite side, President Trump, President Obama, President Clinton, President Carter. And he leaned forward and he gave Michelle Obama a little piece of candy. Remember, get, that was what... He did that in the McCain what thing. What went a viral, yes. you know, is. A nice gesture between uh, Republicans and Democrats there. Uh, Hillary was placed on the far end of Donald Trump there in the first row. When Donald and Melania walked in, the Obamas reached over to shake their hands. And Bill Clinton looked over and nodded. Hillary, Hillary face forward, was not even going to acknowledge their existence. (laughs) Um, But you know what? I'd rather see that than fakery. You know, there's that's, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Wednesdays at 1030, we talk all about what you watching. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. We'll get into uh, some of the TV shows that we've been watching here in a second. But just yes, was it yesterday yes. we were talking about this? Yesterday we were talking about nobody wanting to host the Oscars because in 2018, oh, soon to be 2019, you've got to be so PC. You've got to be so likable across a large range. It, there's so many things that you can't touch. Well, why would you even want the job? 
Kevin Hart has signed on to host the 2019 Oscars, announced it on his Instagram feed yesterday saying, or excuse me, this morning saying, for years I have been asked if I would ever host the Oscars. My answer was always the same. I said it would be the opportunity of a lifetime for me as a comedian and that it will happen when it's supposed to. I love this pick. Yeah. This is great. The only person I would say that would have done better, uh, or I should say that that would rise to that level in terms of being entertaining and having their fingers sort of on the pulse of that world would have been um, James Corden. Uh, or even, and I know that this was a name that we mentioned yesterday, I think Justin Timberlake would be great. Yeah, but he has not wanted to do it. Right. That's the that's the problem. I, I think he's great. At, I mean, he can deliver funny lines like anybody. He could obviously be the musical, you know, he could do the musical number if, to go back to the old uh, I feel Billy like Crystal days. I feel like he's almost bigger than the Oscars. <laughs> glad. I will tell him that when I see him. Oh, next. you guys are friends? Oh, well, I don't like to brag. But, uh, so Kevin Hart tweeted his Instagram post. The Academy retweeted him with a very warm welcome. The Oscars ceremony will be held Sunday, February 24th. So we got he's got plenty of time to write and get ready for uh, what will be a huge deal for a diminutive little fella you asked about dirty john if, yeah if I, i'm watching that i i listened mm-hmm. to the whole podcast when the la times first put it out uh, a year or so ago mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there listening to the podcast very well done uh very well done but it was frustrating as hell basically from go as you're listening to this woman's relationship with this man progress and uh unfurl and on the whole bit the gist of it is, is she's a woman from Orange County. She's been through four marriages before. She's got uh, kids that are grown but are still kind of living in her house. They're kind of spoiled, but it's a close family. Um, two daughters. And she is of a certain age where it's hard to meet men in anywhere. <laughs> and she's going on these uh, online dates kind of thing. And it's just, it's slim pickings out there. That is That much is clear. That's the truth. So and when this... <laughs> Deborah Newell is the, is the character's name. She's right. played by Connie Britton. Yes, who I adore. Tammy and which Taylor. is why I signed on to watch the, the <laughs> show after, um, after listening to the entire podcast. She is a well-to-do woman. She's got a successful interior design business, lots of money, and this guy uh, takes advantage of that. And the red flags that you get from this guy come up immediately as a cynical person that I am. I'm a cynical person. I'm always looking for the worst in people. She is not that way. She is a very loving, believing, trusting person. And so listening to the podcast, I was very frustrated about what she was putting up with. And, and her whole family was, against, with the exception of her mother, her whole family is saying, Mom, there's something wrong with this guy. This isn't right. But her relationship with her adult daughters is kind of tenuous. It's kind of rough. Um, they're, they're all in therapy together. They're, they're, they're obviously spoiled kids, and they're working through things. So she takes their um, issues with this guy as their own issues with her. And, and they, they're worried that he... So she discounts what it is that they're exactly, saying about her. Exactly, um, But anyway, it's well acted. It, it's playing out like the podcast did, uh, but they're adding more little bits and pieces to it. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm also frustrated by it, as frustrated as I was listening to the podcast. Well, your description of it, Eric Bana, by the way, plays uh, John Meehan, this, uh, this con man who gets into her life. Uh, the way you describe it makes me think of 
any number of Real Housewives of Well, it's Vicky's story. It's Vicky with Brooks. Uh, <laughs> if you watch the Real Housewives of Orange County, you know Vicky. I thought for a second you were being serious. I am. Vicky but was it, swindled by Brooks, who came into her life. She <laughs> makes more money. We didn't really know what he did. And then he fakes cancer. And she <laughs> buys in with his story instead of listening to all her friends and family who are saying, Mom, this is a bad guy. Why? Because it's a guy who's attracted to her. It's a guy who uh, who fills her love tank, as Vicky put it. Oh, I hate that term. Um, and you don't when, when you finally find a guy, you don't want to believe any of the bad stuff. It's like you got blinders on. It's hard for women out there, Hoff. Don't look at me. I didn't. I don't make it hard I mean, on it's women. It's hard I'm... for Monica, and she's beautiful and thirty. Oh. I mean, imagine you're in your mid fifties and you've got to start again. Uh, all right. When we come back, uh, I'll tell you about a show that I picked up this weekend. It's already in season two. I don't know why I didn't hear about it before. But speaking of 30 and beautiful and looking for love, it's a story about somebody who fits all of those things, um, which was said. And by the way, flashback to 1998. We have Steve Heitner coming in today. Steve Heitner played Kenny Banya on Seinfeld. Yeah, he's got a new podcast called That's Gold. Uh <laughs> Nick is probably more excited about this than I've ever seen him excited about. Yeah, we've got to tell the story about when I first told Nick about our guests coming in. And, and, and well, I don't know if we will have to tell the story because Nick is incapable of human speech right now. He's speaking so fast you can't understand a word he's saying. I'm speechless. Well, then, I'm right, without thank speech. You, thank you for slowing that down a little bit so everybody can understand that. Uh, we'll talk about all of that stuff coming up on What You Watch Wednesday. People got the day off today. It's considered a national day of mourning. Federal offices uh, officially closed today for the passing of former President George H.W. Bush. The body is on its way to Joint Base Andrews once again to be put aboard the plane that's usually flown as Air Force One. The body will be taken back to Texas. And as we talked about earlier this week, put aboard a train a uh, very special train that was commissioned uh, after George H.W. Bush left the presidency, painted in the same blue and white color scheme as Air Force One, and the body will be taken to College Station, Texas, where it will be laid to rest beside Barbara Bush and uh, their uh, daughter, Robin, who died long ago at the age of three because of uh, leukemia. The president will be, I believe the official interment is tomorrow. We are talking what you watching right now. Did you know that there was going to be a Frozen 2 coming out? I did see that. <gasps> okay. Let, you see, you finally seen I the finally first. saw okay. the first one, yes. Um, and, you know, it's fine. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I liked the pic. I love Kristen Bell. I think Kristen Bell is great. Nick, let's get, after we get Steve Heitner in here, let's get Kristen Bell in. Okay, just we're actually her, working on that. Probably. And Dax Shepard, that'd be great if we could we're get them both. On that, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that'd be fun. Um, yes, I did see that Frozen 2 was coming out. Did you see Friends has been uh, streaming on Netflix for some time? They finally announced yesterday, uh, sorry, earlier this week, that Netflix and the Warner Brothers TV would still stream Friends through 2019 on Netflix. Now, wait a minute. You think that's not a huge deal? They're making 30 
million dollars a year streaming friends on Netflix. What has David Schwimmer done? OJ. Remember he played Kardashian? <gasps> yeah, that was that's that was it. done well. That was done well. But that's Yeah. Everybody else, it seems, has had some amount of job. David Schwimmer just gets to sit there and collect money for this. By the way, so $30 million a year up to this point. Sources said that the told The Hollywood Reporter that this new deal between Warner Media and Netflix is a multi-year deal worth somewhere between 70 and $80 million just for next year. How in the world? Uh, I don't know. Friends, all David Schwimmer had to do was sit and kiss Jennifer Aniston during the 90s. And he's just he's just raking in the money right now. That's all he's doing. Don't hate. I mean, if <laughs> just, you can arrange that, if you can arrange that in your life, I, I think that you uh, you get some credit. That's fine. Um, the guy who runs Hulu right now, CEO Randy Freer, says within ten years, within ten years, most linear cable TV networks will be gone. That the three hundred plus channels that we see on our packages right now will shrink dramatically. And maybe there be about a dozen cable TV networks standing when all is said and done 10 years from now. It's pretty interesting. So we're going back. We're going back. We don't need all those channels. Well, we don't. We, we, we need the channels because it's so fragmented right now. But is it just that the production companies will remain and we just don't have the standing channels? I think probably. Um, listen, we've got, uh, we've got a call to action for you this week. On Friday, we are having our big KFI Pastathon to benefit Katerina's Club. We are going to try and raise enough pasta and sauce and money to help feed 20,000 kids a week in L.A. and Orange Counties. You don't always think of poor kids in Orange County, but they are there. They may be not visible to you, but they're certainly there living in motels night to night, going to different places, taking their belongings with them in a plastic bag sometimes to school because they don't know where they'll be staying that night. We're talking eating dinner out of a vending machine. So Chef Bruno saw that was happening. He and his wife, excuse me, his mother, Katerina, uh, decided to do something. So they started feeding kids pasta years ago, and we would like to help them do as much as Bruno possibly can so this friday 5 a.m to 10 p.m we are going to be out at christ cathedral in garden grove again accepting money donations pasta and sauce you all kill it every year um i am always i always get chills every year when i see the amount of people that stop by to give whatever they can to drop off the pasta and the sauce it's amazing kfi listeners are truly the best we, uh, we also have a couple of special ways that you can give, not just on the website. If you go to pastathon.com, a couple of different ways. If you can't make it out to Christ Cathedral, there are drop-off spots around Southern California. How uh, You can go to Smart and Final and pay your 10 bucks uh, and give right at the check stand at every Smart and Final in California, Nevada, and Arizona. But also some auction items that we're going to be giving away uh, that, we're, that are up for auction, I should say, including number one, and I don't like to brag, but I like to brag, <laughs> the highest bid right now is for our item to go watch a Dodgers game with us in the luxury suite next season. Well, we are the most fun. Clearly. I'm not going to, I don't think that that's going out on uh, any sort of limb. No, the money doesn't lie on that one. The second thing that we're auctioning off is a speaking part for the upcoming Gary and Shannon production of A Christmas Carol. We're going to do it live on the air uh, a couple of weeks from now, right before Christmas, and then we'll replay it on Christmas, but you get a speaking part. Come on down to our studios. Hang out with us for the show. Uh, it's not going to be a four-hour show, by the way. The Christmas Carol thing's not going to last for four hours. But you definitely get a part, and it is a major speaking part. So uh, we won't tell you what it 
I guess it doesn't matter. Maybe on Friday we'll debut, we'll do a read through of just that section, perhaps, mm. just to give a maybe, little maybe not a read through, but a, a tease of the whole feeling of our radio theater production <laughs> that you have so masterfully crafted. It's going to be great, and maybe one of those radio theater uh, situations that lives on forever, forever. Um, there's Would you a- say historic? No, oh, I wouldn't go. There. No, that's that's a but lot. But thank of you. Um, but there's a bunch of stuff that is up for auction. Dinner with Handel and Chef Bruno. Uh, 25th anniversary coming up. You get backstage access with the Handel crew. There's also the cocktail party that we've been doing, the Q&A session, where you can give a certain amount of money and you automatically win tickets to that. It's not a high bidder thing. But all of that stuff is on Pastathon.com. The auction items are at Pastathon.com slash shop. You'll see all of them there, and you can check it out. We'd love to see you on Friday, too. We've got rain headed. It's already uh, started here in Southern California. Mudslide concerns are back. We'll tell you all about which areas people are most concerned about when we return to Gary and Shannon. We keep on running, running through a red light like we're trying to burn the night Caring former President George H.W. Bush's casket left the Washington National Cathedral following a state funeral. Right now, the U.S. Army 21-gun salute is happening at Joint Base Andrews in Maryland. Former President George W. said today during the eulogy, he told his father just before he died last week in Houston at age 94 that he's been a wonderful dad, that he loved him. He says his last words his father would ever say on earth to him were, I love you too. It was just a beautiful ceremony that they did today at the National Cathedral. And they're going to move the uh, the body back to Texas a little bit later, um, getting ready to put it on the airplane once again. And then take it to Texas for final burial at the George H.W. Bush Presidential Library right next to his wife, Barbara, and their daughter, Robin, who preceded them in death by several decades, as a matter of fact. Hey, do you hear what's going on in Wisconsin? I don't know if we mentioned it yesterday, but the governor-elect there, uh, Democrat, he has been limited in his power by the Republican-ruled Congress there, legislative Republicans. They've taken steps to say, ah, let's take all the weight out of the governor's seat while we've got a Democrat in there. This is the stupidest. I had this argument with someone over Thanksgiving, and it was an argument about one-party rule and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I have I firmly believe that one-party rule will destroy a country. Whichever party it is, one-party will rule will destroy a country. And there was a discussion about, I think it was like turning Texas blue or something. Listen, Texas was blue for a while, there have been some incredibly liberal lawmakers that have come out of Texas. They've had Democratic governors, et cetera. But, and I'm just using that as an example. Having one party in control for too long is a bad thing. That's why we have two parties. That's why we've had multiple parties through the course of our government history. This idea that you, you know, that you're going to then handcuff a party that's coming in during a transition or vice versa, that sucks. That just sucks. It's so bad. It's such a. Thumb in the face of what it is that we're supposed to do when we vote. I hate it. Thumb in the face of democracy. Agree. All right. Well, it looks like we've got some rain coming in. Storm is, uh, looks like it's going to hit tonight. 
There are a few places that have seen some significant rain already around uh, Aliso Viejo, Mission Viejo. They got some significant rain about an hour ago, and that cell has sort of moved out past uh, Lake Elsinore and Paris in that way. But we're all going to see some amount of rain at some point by later today and into tomorrow. So they're obviously worried again about mudslides in the burn areas, maybe maybe some evacuation areas like we saw when the last storm blew through, although it wasn't much of a storm, was it? No. And it didn't really materialize. What they're saying about this is that it will rain. I mean, it's significant, an inch and a half or however much they're expecting for this storm, but it's not going to be an inch and a half in an hour or even a half an inch an hour. It's going to you know, be spread out over several hours, technically a couple of days. So... What they're saying is the um, the expectation is that we might see some burn area activity. But at this point, I haven't seen any flash flood warnings or flash flood watches that have been posted. It's just an idea, a good idea, I should say, to keep an eye on uh, what's been going on. As you get farther up into northern California, they're talking about uh, Interstate 80 and uh, Highway 50 out of Sacramento towards Lake Tahoe. They're going to see a lot of snow and the potential for some accidents, et cetera, the first big snow of the season. So all of that is um, something worth keeping our eyes on. But farther north than that, they're still dealing with the aftermath of the campfire up in the Butte County area. The best news that we can say is there are now just 11 names left on that missing or unaccounted for list. There was one point where it was at 1,300 people. 1,300. Well, people were scattered. Yeah. You know, and and many people probably didn't have time or the thought to think, hey, I didn't let anyone know where I'm going. I may be on that missing list. People may be looking for me. You know, it's probably not high on the list of priorities. The the number also of uh, those killed went down. From 88 to 85, the Butte County Sheriff, who has, I think, truly emerged as a hero in a lot of the way he's been handling the situation for the last couple of weeks, Sheriff Corey Honey, he said it's a pretty remarkable number at this point. Um, he was referring to the number of people that have been located, even if neighbors, etc., had only a first name to go off of. Because, to be honest, listen. Our neighborhoods are not like they were 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Do you know everybody? Do you know every neighbor's name, first and last name? Absolutely not. So there's a chance if there's an elderly neighbor or something like that, you don't necessarily know their last name. And that's the that's the kind of thing that the sheriff was dealing with and the sheriff's department was dealing with was, uh, I think Barbara was her name, but I don't know if she, I haven't seen her and we never saw her get out. Patrick Holden and Nancy Barnes were two people that turned up on a list. They took off from Paradise from their home. At the same time as most of their neighbors, they said they spent five terrifying hours making that normally 30-minute drive to Chico. The next day, they marked themselves safe through Facebook. They told their friends uh, and then realizing that their home was burned to the ground said... Well, we had this vacation to Hawaii planned. We're going to go ahead and take that. Uh, And so two weeks after the fire, Patrick sees their names up on the list. And he says, you know, everybody in the the car club, the bridge club, the Paradise Newcomers Club knew we were okay. That sentence right there, by the way, helps you realize uh, a little what, bit about yeah, Paradise. Exactly. That's a great picture of what is Paradise. Yeah. He, uh, he said from his timeshare in Maui, I don't know how we got on the list. 
That's, yeah, a, nice, but, that's a nice place to land. That's a, yeah, and you'd think, I mean, it's nice to be missed, right? Yeah. I mean, someone acknowledged the fact that you were missing and uh, they didn't know where you were. So I think that's good. Um, it will be interesting to see how this goes. We've talked the last couple of days about the real estate market in Chico and uh, places like that, Chico and Gridley and Oroville and all these towns around there, uh, and how just all of the vacant homes and apartments, et cetera, have just been sucked up as a result of this massive disaster. We haven't checked in with USC recently, but we will do that when we return. Apparently, there's a fight with the USC donors. They're finally fed up with all the scandal after scandal after scandal. And we'll tell you what their plan of action is when we return. Gary and Shannon will continue. So I drive a taxi and the traffic distracts me from the strangers in my backseat that remind me Special Air Mission 41 continues in just a few minutes. The uh, big Air Force 747 that usually flies as Air Force One is due to take off from Joint Base Andrews here in a few minutes and carry the body of former President George H.W. Bush after today's funeral back to Texas for burial. And we'll keep an eye on through the course of the day today. We have uh, chronicled USC's troubles over the past couple of years, whether it was the dean of the medical school, Carmen Hotrail's Pugliafito, or the gynecologist that was there for decades uh, molesting girls, many of whom were from China and had no idea how a, gyneco- a gynecological exam should go. Uh, a lot of them victimized. It looks like there is a new fight, and this fight is happening under the roof of USC's Marshall School of Business. It looks like the USC interim president, Wanda Austin, wants to get rid of the dean of the School of Business. He has been there since 2007 and apparently has not been responding the way that Wanda would like to sexual harassment and discrimination claims against faculty and staff, so she wants to get rid of him. And some investors, some some people who give USC a lot of money are saying, not so fast, Wanda. Uh, this is one of the disgusting parts about uh, donors and their influence over schools like this. But USC, I kind of feel like being uh, the school that it is, the private school that it is, has to kind of kowtow to this. And I know this is a hard part, I'm sorry, a hard place for Wanda Austin to be in as interim president. But she's got to make some decision. I mean, they have had a ridiculously bad track record ever since we started talking about Carmen Pugliafito. And Max Nicky has clung, for some reason, clung on to his position as uh, the president of USC for, oh, two years too long, perhaps. At least two years too long. So there's a billionaire in Pasadena by the name of Ming Hees, a trustee who's donated more than $85 million. He's actually hired a litigator from Century City to advocate, advocate for uh, Dean James Ellis before the board, uh, the, before the USC board. Imagine that. Chief executive uh, who, of his own investment banking firm who's donated more than $5 million to the business school, a guy by the name of Lloyd Grief, says... Uh, Dean James Ellis is not going quietly, and we're not going quietly. This decision needs to be reversed. The trustees meet next week, and the dean's status will be on the agenda. 
Now, when you look at the trustees and what they're going to be talking about, Rick Caruso is the chair of the board. He has told a bunch of other trustees in letters that he plans to lay out the facts behind President Austin's decision to get rid of uh, Dean James Ellis. We don't really know much about her problem with Dean James Ellis. Uh, We know that it's about his response to sexual harassment and discrimination claims. uh, But we don't know much more than that. These complaints are investigated on a confidential basis by the USC's office of equity and diversity. And so far, uh, Wanda Austin has declined to discuss the nature or the number of accusations. We just don't know much. Yeah. Now, this is going to be interesting because Marshall School of Business for USC, one of the most prestigious schools in the world, perhaps, when it comes to that type of education. And according to a lot of people who have been following Marshall School of Business and Dean Ellis, they say that he has made it an even more competitive program. Uh, yeah, by raising more than $500 million for the school. We and heard the same the thing. thing with Carmen Pugliafito. That's exactly where I was getting at, is that you you can be a complete dirtbag. I don't know anything about James Ellis, but I'm just – paint this picture. You can be a complete dirtbag, a giant apple. You can you can be worried more about the, billions do, the billion-dollar donors – than you are about the students that you're supposed to be caring for. We hear the same thing in college football, right? That these coaches, uh, Urban Myers of the world, are such apples, but yet they're great recruiters. They bring in the best players, so we look the other way, right? Listen to me here for a minute. Maybe it's about the brand of your school. Maybe it's about The Ohio State University and its football program, right? Maybe it's about Alabama and that football program. Maybe it's not so much about these specific guys. Hey, USC, maybe it's about your brand as USC and the Marshall School of Business and less about Dean Ellis, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if these schools are giving themselves enough credit. They think it's all because of Carmen Pugliafito and the way he's able to wine and dine and hot rail the hell out of uh, investors. Uh, maybe it's your brand that stands on its own two feet. Maybe you don't need these guys. Yeah, and it's an interesting it's an interesting mind game, perhaps, to or exercise, at least, to go through and say, what do I, if I'm a donor, if I had a billion dollars and I wanted to donate $10 million to USC, am I doing it because of James Ellis? Right. Or am I doing it because it's USC? Yeah, and and there is something to be said. Yes, there are there are men and women out there who clearly know how to grease the skids when it comes to massive donors like this. They know how to play the game. They know the words to say. They know how to make these feel these people feel important so that they'll write the checks with a lot of zeros and a lot of commas in it. But at the same time, can't Wanda Austin, as the interim president at USC, say we're not going to stand for even the appearance uh, the appearance of impropriety anymore. We've got to get rid of G- uh, Dean Ellis because of the things that have been going on in the Marshall School of Business. And again, I wonder. Like you said, we don't know exactly what she's working with yet. Hopefully, we'll find more once she explains it to the board of trustees. I wonder how much of this is about Dean James Ellis and how much of it is about this interim president, Wanda Austin, coming and everyone laying their genitals out on the table saying, I'm now I'm in charge now. And the donor saying, who do you think you are coming in and being in charge? You know, Max and I, we always had this agreement. He'd do whatever we told him to do. And she's coming in as an outsider saying, no, 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 no. There's a new sheriff in town and they don't like it because they're the ones paying all the money to the school. James Ellis doesn't even know about hot rails. How could I expect to get any hot rails in here? 
Where are the hot rails? All right, coming up next, the Democrats sweeping into office in California have a lot of shopping that they want to do. Mm. Who's the who's the adult in that room? Gavin Newsom. That's that should be a warning sign. Yeah. Uh, reminder, tomorrow, no, day after tomorrow, we're going to be live at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for our annual Pastathon. We'd love it if you would come on out. We're going to be broadcasting live from 5 in the morning all the way through 10 o'clock at night, accepting donations, pasta, sauce, money. If you can't make it, make sure you check it out, pastathon.com, for all the information on how you can donate in other ways as well. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, it's Wednesday, December 5th. A little bit later in the show, in the 1 o'clock hour, uh, Steve Heitner, actor Steve Heitner, is going to join us. Um, he was the guy who played Kenny Banya, Jerry's friend on Seinfeld. Well, would we say they were friends? Fellow comedian, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Jerry thought he was a hack, right, yes. Right, Nick? Right. I, uh, yeah, he thought he was a hack. Uh, Steve Heitner's got a new podcast called That's Gold. And I've been on the podcast a handful of times to talk about football and it's kind of lost on me because I, I never really watched Seinfeld. Like, I watched it a couple times. And when I told Nick that we were going to have him in studio to talk about his Festivus contest on Instagram, <laughs> yes. uh, Nick was a big fan of Seinfeld. Um, in fact, I said, you're a fan of Seinfeld, Nick? And he got a devilish grin on his face, and he took his backwards baseball cap and turned it around, and it was a Seinfeld hat. True story. It was the one of the best moments. And the thing is, I feel like Nick has had that hat. How long you had that hat, Nick? I've had this hat for probably two months now. Okay. No, yeah. longer than that. No, I, I got this not that long ago, actually. I think wow. he literally just wears it every day. Well, I, those two I have months. been, Yes, yeah. he has worn it, worn it every day for those, like, waiting for the day that someone would say something like, Hey, Nick, you ever uh, watch a Seinfeld show? And then he just slowly, <laughs> slowly turns it around. Oh, you mean this Seinfeld show? It was brilliant. It was perfect. It brilliant was. theater. It was. It would have gone well on Seinfeld. It would have. It was a very Seinfeld moment. I can't wait to tell him that story. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Okie dokie. Okie dokie? What? Are we not saying that now? I didn't know. Well, only if you finish with artichoke, then yeah, we're good. Yeah, no kidding. Can't leave me hanging there. Well, on Monday, uh, <laughs> lawmakers in Sacramento introduced more than 100 bills that contained more than $40 billion in proposed new spending. Uh, let's see. Uh, expanding Medi-Cal eligibility to adults living in the country illegally. Why not? What about fixing my roads? Uh, dramatically increasing funding for K-12 through schools. What about my road? <laughs> Uh, let me see. Reds, 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 reds. Nope. What about eliminating the sales tax for menstrual products? Uh, that did make the list. Oh, thank God. That did make the list. Listen, for women who are not. Don't you start with me. For women I... who are poor, why do we have to pay? I agree. I, for listen, products I agree. that we have to have by nature. Right. I get it. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I wouldn't hang you, like, my hat on that as a legislator, however. Yeah, when you move on to some higher office and you're like, oh, and by the way, I am the champion of of taking away the tampon tax. That That's fine, and I totally agree with it. I would, in fact, vote in favor of it. Why it was in the, in the 
pantheon of taxes in the first place? I don't get it. Why diapers can't we carve also. It out? Diapers also. Uh, <sighs> infant diapers from sales tax. Oh, that's not fair. What about diapers for the elderly? Also an excellent point. Excellent point. I just want I just want all of us to take a moment. Whether you're Democrat, Republican, or decline to state as uh, is sort of winning right now in California. Just wrap your head around this. There are 120 seats in our state legislature. There are 80 seats in the assembly. 60 of them are Democrats. 80 in the assembly. 60 of them are Democrats. And then in the Senate, 40 seats and 29 of them are Democrats. Gavin Newsom had to be the adult in the room. He had to say, uh, slow your roll, kids. (laughs) He said, all of this will be whittled down and we will live within our means. We're not going to deviate from being fiscally prudent. I like Gavin Newsom for those two sentences, words I've never spoken before. He says, even if you want to provide universal preschool, which he wants to do, he said, you can't achieve that right now in the in the immediate term. That's going to take years to build out. And how do you as when you think about this, the legislative analyst's office says we could see a state surplus of $14.8 billion next yes, year. Yes, but you which know you can yeah, Great news, but we all have learned from the past in California you can't spend willy nilly just because you have a surplus one year. It's just like you've learned in your own house. Say you do well one year. Maybe you get a little bit of extra money at work, you mm-hmm. get a bonus or something like right. that. That doesn't mean you spend next year like you're going to get that bonus again. Right. And if you have already budgetary problems in your household, you've got $20,000 in credit card debt or whatever. Like, you know, you've already got some issues. Right. Including historical issues with spending in your house, as well as a bunch of new kids that you've taken in from the system who are big spenders as well. There's zero uh, there's zero perspective, I think, is probably the way to put it. Phil Ting chairs the Assembly Budget Committee. He says he wants the state's spending plan to prioritize wildfire prevention. I get it. I understand it. But to me, even in the wake of, I mean, in the just the the presence of still burned hillsides from a couple of massive fires in the last 12 months, I think that wildfire prevention can be done on a community level in a way that the state shouldn't be involved with. But lowering pension debt and helping Californians in poverty, those are two other things that he wants to do. That pension debt, that pension debt is the thing that is going to strangle the state of California. Strangle it. And if you look at you've got $15 billion in surplus, you have to be able to plan ahead and say, we're going to have to make a down payment now on this pension debt that in 15, 20, 30 years is going to absolutely handcuff the state and make it unable to move. Or you just start killing people who used to work for the state or teachers' unions or whatever, no, and I don't think that's going to happen. You can't start killing people. It's probably not going to happen. As much as you'd enjoy that. No, I wouldn't enjoy that. I'm just saying that's one well, of the only other options. the idea. I'm just spitballing here. and No idea is a bad idea, right? No. That is a bad idea? Mm-hmm. All right. All right, coming up, Les Moonves. Remember him stepping down as the chief executive of CBS in September after more than a dozen 
Women, including a doctor, accused him of sexual misconduct. We're hearing from one of the accusers uh, now about what she told CBS investigators about what happened in 1985. Gary and Shannon will continue. So let's go back to Shannon, Wednesday, December 5th. I did not need to yell at you right there, and I apologize. Yes, you did. Sorry. I don't need it here, too. Reminder, Friday, we're going to be out at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for our annual Pastathon to benefit Katarina's Club, broadcasting live all day, 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call, all the way through the entire Conway group at 10 o'clock at night. We're accepting, of course, pasta and sauce, but money donations as well. We have a few things for you to remember. You can go to pastathon.com, find out information about the event itself, but also different ways that you can help out, like at any one of the Smart and Final stores. You can donate at the cash register. You can drop off pasta and sauce donations at any one of dozens of drop-off locations around Southern California. Again, pastathon.com, but also the auction items that are up are pretty fantastic. You could bid on a two-night stay at the Delano Hotel in Las Vegas. A case of wine from State 31 Wines. We have a couple of things, including the Dodger game that we will host you at at the luxury suite sometime next season. And then there's also a speaking part that is up for the Gary and Shannon A Christmas Carol, uh, the live radio theater. We're going to go back to the old days of KFI, new live radio theater, coming up on Friday the 21st. We do our version of A Christmas Carol coming up. Um, But you get a speaking part in that depending on uh, whether or not you win that auction. Well, Les Moonves stepped down at CBS because a dozen women accused him of sexual misconduct. One of the women is a woman by the name of June Kimmel, who recounted her experience with Les Moonves to company lawyers, where she talked about her traumatic encounter with him In 1985. Uh, I've read through this thing, and this is a weird, this is a weird thing to me. This isn't the straight up, like, he stuck his tongue down my throat, and I punched him and said, what are you doing, and never saw him again. There's a a second chapter to her version of the story that was a little weird to me. She said she had done a lot of work on uh, the project at the time, and she was very excited. She did her pitch, and it was really the best she'd ever done. He said, we're going to make this movie. He went over and he hugged her. She says, I thought he was being genuine. He held me super close and proceeded to stick his tongue down my throat. It was revolting. He didn't even kiss me, just the tongue down the throat. Why are you making that face? That's gross. I know. She says, I knew this happened to actresses, the old casting couch, but I never expected that to happen in the capacity of pitching a movie. I said... What are you doing? He said, I got a little carried away. That was so amazing. You're so amazing. He acted a bit contrite, she says. He didn't treat me like a laughing apple, we'll say. Okay. He acted a little deferential to my remarks, so I recovered pretty quickly. Because he was nice, I didn't storm out. 
Now, he said, I'll call you. We're going to make this movie. So I was not initially devastated. I was just hoping he was going to effing make my movie so I could forget that it happened. But I thought, did I do anything wrong? Did I lead him on? And that is the question that happens with every woman that has an uncomfortable encounter. Uh, This is obviously more than uncomfortable. He stick his tongue down her throat. But, uh, you know, did I... Did I, did I, was I putting out a vibe that was different from the way that I feel? It's always, it's such a woman thing to do to, to go back and say, what did I do to make that happen? Right. It's just woman's nature. She said he called a couple of days later with this low, sexy voice and said, when can I see you again? And I said, kind of instantly, uh, innocently, you mean to talk about the movie? So she says, then I took a deep, a deep breath and took a friend, took a page from my friend's playbook she said you've got to keep them guessing when they pull that s you've got to make them think if they didn't have a wife or you didn't have someone they'd be the first on your list now at the time les moonves was married not to julie chen but to his first wife so she says uh wait let me just pull the car over really quick. Yeah, okay <laughs> um her friend's advice yeah on being charming um, and to, to to men, I guess what she's doing is happens with with men. Maybe you're trying to, I guess, seduce through a business relationship or trying to get something out of them business wise by uh, being charming or beguiling in some way. Um, I don't think that applies when a man has already stuck his tongue down your throat. I think you need to do a firm boundary <laughs> at that point. You know, you don't use that playbook. That playbook shouldn't even be on your shelf when you're dealing with this guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to put myself in her shoes where she's talking about this project that she had been working on. You know, and I, I don't know what project it was and I don't know how much time, but just, just her own description of it. She's done a lot of work on this project. She was very excited. Uh, she believed that this pitch was the best that she had ever done. Fantastic on steroids was the way that she talked about it. So in her mind, in her world, there's no way that this guy wouldn't want to do this project because she put so much work into it. She had that much confidence in it to be just completely derailed by his then, you know, his activity or or his attitude towards it has got to go beyond just the crushing did I do anything wrong? Did I do something that led this guy on? But it's got to be the, this is my life's work. Yeah. And this this a-hole can't even look past his own zipper to figure out that this was a good project. Right. She says to him, uh, you're a very sexy guy. Okay. She says, I wasn't good at it, but I gave it my level best. She says, and he was sexy and handsome. I wasn't lying. She said, if there weren't pictures of your beautiful wife all over your office, and I'm very vulnerable, and I can't, I hope you're still going to do the movie. He kept me on the phone a little longer, she says, and then he said, oh, someone's here. And she never heard from him again. Now, again, this is originally what happened back in 1985. And she said, I didn't think about it once a year, honestly, until the whole Me Too thing happened. But I saw him once at Cipriani, and it activated anger I didn't know I had. I told my friend my whole life might have been different had he been a mensch, had he been a good guy. So at some point, someone called her and said, there's a dispute. Would you mind speaking to someone at CBS? And what's interesting is when the investigation begins into her allegations against Les Moonves, she said that there was a lot of question about whether or not it had actually happened. 
She said, there are two women on the line. I told them the story. It got strange when they were asking for all verification. My sister wasn't good enough for, for them. I asked a friend, and she said, I remember every detail. But that wasn't good enough either. I was annoyed at the pushiness. What did they think? I was looking for publicity. She says, but when I think about it, it seems to me that when he um, that what he did should be grounds for firing. I know he liked my idea and thought it could be a really good movie, but if a woman won't F you, you're going to screw your company. And she says, the eternal question for me is, if I had done it, like if she had given in to his advances, would he have made that movie? And how many? Probably. I mean, and, and hers is one of, you know, literally hundreds of stories that we've heard like that in the last year and a half uh, about people who have gone, women specifically, who have gone to Hollywood with either great talent or great idea only to have it shot down by uh, some guy who couldn't get in their pants. Sad. Coming up next, it is 12, which means we get to everything everyone's talking about everywhere. We fill you in. Also, the uh, naked desk. We stole it from John and Ken. That's coming up in the next hour. Painful naked desk. Did you clean that, Nick? Did you clean the John and Ken naked desk? Uh, Yes, yeah. What did you you use? Wait a minute. I thought you were out by an oval team. Yeah, you just lied. No, you no, did no, no, not no. have time to clean. Spit shined it. Listen, oh, put, right it, put it this That's way. Enough. By the time you roll so up a naked thing, desk, it's it. going to be clean, and the only wet stuff will be Purell. Just let it dry. Wednesday, December 5th, a reminder that on Friday we're going to be live at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for this year's Hostathon to benefit Katarina's Club. Come on out, have some fun. Not only are we auctioning items off on the website, hostathon.com, we'll have some special things that uh, maybe a donation will get you a special prize from our show if you donate between 10 and 2 out there at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove this Friday. Coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, it's our Hour of Celebrities. We have a couple of celebrities on. Are you going <laughs> to... What? Well, Am I, I going to embarrass you? No. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yes. Isn't that every yes. day? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Let's yeah, but usually it's just us. Like, usually it's just... <laughs> like, I can explain to Monica, like, Shannon's, you know, she did that thing like, again. Or, oh, God, or I say I to Blake, hey, Blake, sorry about what Shannon said. But now we have, like... Uh, Mixed company. Yeah, yeah, but now we have guests. <laughs> All right, I'll be on good behavior. God. I heard that before God. as well. What else is happening? <laughs> Time for What's Happening. Remember that Legionnaire's disease outbreak at Disneyland last year? 22 cases. Around Disneyland. They want to be careful. Make sure you say that. Around. Well, they've gone ahead and pinpointed uh, a cooling tower at Disneyland is the problem. But uh, I know we shouldn't say anything bad about Disney. It's like talking badly about Santa. There is a, a hearing going on today, started yesterday down in West Covina, that is a Cal OSHA administrative law judge talking about a citation that Cal OSHA gave Disneyland because it was determined that the Legionnaires uh, was the Legionella was in one of those cooling towers. And that water that came out of the cooling tower went into the misters. A bunch of people came down with Legionnaires disease, 22 cases. One actually sickened somebody to the point of death. Um, although that person was not at Disneyland, the doctors said 
that contaminated water, water infected with Legionella bacteria, can actually spread two to four miles. That's why a few nursing home patients nearby were sickened. Robot cars are officially here. Waymo has launched a commercial robot ride-hailing service in Arizona. It's called Waymo One. Only a few hundred customers will have access to the app and participate in the early stages. Uh, The cars will drive themselves, but a Waymo engineer will sit behind the wheel in case anything goes awry. You seen these yet? No. Uh, I was in Tempe a year and a half ago, and they have some. They had some of these things rolling around in just the driverless cars. Although there was a driver, like they, you said, there was an engineer in the car, but it was clear that person was not steering the car. That was an odd, odd thing to witness. We're not. Our brains are not ready for that. I don't think. Even if uh, society believes it is, our brains are not ready for a car that doesn't have a driver in it. One of the big stories, uh, probably the biggest story of the day, is saying goodbye to George H.W. Bush. We've told you all about his funeral all morning long there. The eulogy from George W. Bush, which was just perfect. I mean, it was eight minutes of perfection. It was human. It was funny. It was sad. He showed real emotion. He shared personal details from George H.W. Bush's life. I, I loved the the end of life antics about George H.W. loving to take his boat, the Fidelity, out on the Atlantic and loved just opening up that horsepower and trying to lose the Secret Service agents. I loved the fact that he was parachuting out of planes at 90 years old and the landing spot was the church where his parents were married that he often went to pray and he said he picked that spot just in case something went wrong. Uh, There was another story today that surfaced from the Secret Service about in 2013, one of the Secret Service agent's sons, who was two years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. So the entire detail shaved their heads in solidarity with the little boy and that George W. H. W. Bush, excuse me, said, well, why wouldn't I do the same thing? So he did do the same thing. Uh, the little boy, by the way, is in good health now, and they took a picture of full head of hair, both both uh, George H.W. and the little boy, just a couple of years ago. One of the comments from Brian Mulroney, the former prime minister of Canada, also their long, long friendship was a discussion that uh, that the two of them had long after Bush was out of office. And this was in Kenny Bunkport, Maine, at the family's compound there. And he had pointed Brian Mulroney to a plaque that was put in an area that overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. And it's just the letters C-A-V-U. And he said, when I was a pilot, and again, this had been the idea that he was shot down at the age of 20 is ridiculous. But when he was a pilot flying off a carrier, the words you wanted to hear from the tower was C-A-V-U, ceiling and visibility unlimited, because you knew it would be a great day to fly. And he had those letters put on a plaque out by the family compound. The family all knew that those letters meant something to their father. And it was just a, it was a nice, Brian Mulroney did a great job as well. I love that. Uh, two dozen workers taken to hospitals this morning. There was an incident at an Amazon warehouse all about an aerosol can of bear attack repellent. One worker's in critical condition. This was in Robbinsville, New Jersey. People were uh, having trouble breathing, burning in their throats, their eyes. Looks like the the can of bear attack repellent fell off a shelf at this place and dispersed. Well, it's it clearly works. There were no bears anywhere near it. 
That was a good George H.W. joke right there. That was good. Good dad joke. Him. The other big story of the day is that Cardi B has split from Offset. Yeah, you were uh, inconsolable this morning when I told you about this. I don't know. I believe the reaction I was. was, what? <laughs> I felt bad that you didn't get the news from someone closer to you, a wife or one of your kids. Yeah. I had to do the heavy lifting on that. They have a kid, don't they? They do. The baby was just born. You, do you know the guy that was stabbed in the eye with the drumstick? Uh, I may. I may. I definitely don't know the stabber, but I guess I may know the stabby. Guy in Petaluma, my old hometown, was stabbed in the eye with a drumstick and then was hit by a car. Why are you laughing? Come on. How many people do you know in your life? Who have been stabbed in the eye with a drumstick. And I mean like the drum drumstick, not the chicken drumstick. Oh, because the chicken drumstick, I I can't even count. I mean, innumerable. uh, uh, Nick's in a band, and actually, the latest pictures coming out of one of his gigs, there was blood all over the drum kit. And so did that, uh, was that because someone got stabbed in the eye? No, no one got stabbed in the eye. He, it was just, the, the rock was too hard that he sliced his finger on the snare. And, uh, you know, you got to keep going. Yeah. So there's just blood everywhere. <laughs> I learned that in Whiplash. Yeah. It's kind of like Whiplash, what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. Wouldn't that be hard to do, stab somebody in the eye with a drumstick? On Isn't the count. tip rounded? Well, yeah. I mean, I have drumsticks in the office I can show you. Uh, Please but don't stab me. Don't well, soil the steel drumsticks. No, no, I have I have others in the other those box in there. Oh, but that's oh those ones. This guy was sitting on top of him, holding the drumstick in his eye, pushing down Ugh. on sixty-eight-year-old William McCullough. He also suffered a water bottle down his throat at one point. After initial treatment in Petaluma, one of the hospitals there, he was transferred to Stanford Hospital in Palo Alto, where he spent a week recovering, and then he was released, got back into Petaluma. Trying to cross a busy street with a patch on his eye, mm. and was—it's not funny. And then he was hit by a car, and had to go back to the hospital. Oh, God. Hey, wait! Aren't you the guy who had a drumstick in his eye? All right. I don't want to do this next segment. I don't want to. We uh, took John and Ken's naked dust for the next uh, segment because we had Nick, a couple. What of, is that? A couple of. Uh, genital. You said you wiped it off. Stories. That's from the drumstick incident. To report to you. We'll do that when we return. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Ah! Monica, what's up? This is such a quality program. Isn't it? Yeah. Real salt of the earth. Gary and Shannon. Former President George H.W. Bush has left Washington for the last time. Flag-draped casket carried in a motorcade to Joint Base Andrews outside Washington following a state funeral there at Washington National Cathedral. When we get into uh, Swamp Watch at the bottom of the hour, Karen Travers from ABC is going to join us. We're going to talk more about the uh, the service today, beautiful service at the National Cathedral there in Washington with a couple of fantastic uh, eulogies, not only from... 
George W. Bush and from Senator Alan Simpson, but also John Meacham, an historian, wrote a book about, uh, wrote a biography of George H.W. Bush and the former prime minister from Canada, Brian Mulroney. Also in Wisconsin, crazy times there at the state legislature, which is controlled by Republicans. They approved sweeping changes this morning that weaken the governor's ability to make rules that enact laws. They're pissed off that the incoming governor is a Democrat. So they're trying to weaken (laughs) him as much as possible. We've been watching the rain, of course, as well. And one of the areas that's being hardest hit today uh, as the storm is starting to move through is the Inland Empire. A road that goes across Box Springs Mountain Reserve Park north of Moreno Valley had to be shut down because of rain that went through that area. The Riverside County Department of Transportation closed it about 1030. They were looking at the conditions and figured that it's not safe for people to be on that route. So, again, they closed. Uh, looks like Box Springs Mountain Road as it goes through the Mountain Reserve Park in that area. I'm not putting my hands on it. You're not? I'm not, not going to rest my arms on it. I'm just going to leave it over there, and you can, you can do with it what you want. Well, this is unfortunate. Uh, this is an assault in a place called Tar- Taylorsville, Utah. Would you uh, go ahead and do me a favor and look up what there is to do in, in Taylorsville, Utah? Absolutely. Because I feel like there's stuff to do that's better than this the assault occurred august 30th police say a man held another man at gunpoint bound him to a chair and then told him he could choose between death in the desert or having a nail hammered through his genitals again this is the either or chance death in the desert or having a nail hammered through your genitals the desert's looking pretty good at this point I mean, I don't have male genitals, but I would assume that death in the desert's looking pretty good. Can I also? <laughs> yeah. Can I pull the curtain back. For Please a do. <laughs> you said earlier I don't have genitals. I just meant I didn't have the stories. Oh, oh, oh! Well, I never mind. I just meant I didn't have the other genitals story. Uh, if you're looking for something to do. Um, Besides putting a nail through another guy's genitals. At the Taylorsville Bennion Heritage Museum this weekend, there is uh, Santa where they talk about Christmas around the world. Sounds a hell of a lot better than nail through someone's genitals. Oh, wait for it. Wait for it. Taylorsville's got talent. Hosted by the city of Taylorsville and the Taylorsville Arts Council. You, easy right now because you know but- we're going to get emails. Telling us that Taylorsville <laughs> is a the, very cosmopolitan place and that we sound like we're dumbing it down or something. Of that every nature. Thursday, mm-hmm. the mayor of Taylorsville opens up her office from 2 until 4 for a little event that they call the mayor is in. <laughs> Here's how it went down. The Taylorsville Arts Council presents the Winter Wonderettes. Jason Demon got into a fight that night with a man who was living in the home with him. During the argument, Jason held a shotgun to the other man's head and made him sit in a chair before handcuffing him to the armrests. He then told the victim, yes, you could either be taken to the desert to be killed or I will drive, drive a nail into your penis. Wow. The man also told the victim he would shoot him if he tried to fight back. Now, the victim decided to choose the nail through the genitals. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, you. You have a question? Uh, I've never been in a fight for my life, but I would imagine Mm -hmm. if someone had said to me, 
I'm either going to take you to the desert or I'm going to drive a nail into your into your uh, place. I would probably say, go for the nail. I'll put up a fight. I mean, I don't know. Did he have a gunpoint? Yes. Oh, then never Gun mind. to the never head. Mind. Oh, got it. The guy's handcuffed in the chair. Got it. Okay. Okay. So now we're dealing with... Uh, the the tables have definitely... I choose the desert. I choose the desert because there are steps to get to the desert. Oh yeah. First of all, the handcuffs come off. Yes. Second of all, well, you can't hold a gun to your head. We well, can't hold a gun to your head the whole time. Well, he's driving. I'd throw myself out of the car. You never choose nailed to the genitals. Textbook. Text- so I, I don't want to read that book. So Jason Lee Mon then used a rusty hammer to drive a tool oh. resembling an ice pick through. The victim's penis. Here's where I don't understand the story. He then releases him. He takes the handcuffs off and says, you're free to go. And the man uh, sought medical attention the next morning. Uh, um, I know guys are pretty stubborn when it comes to going to the hospital to see a doctor about a problem they may have been experiencing. You know, maybe you ignore it a little bit longer if you're a dude because you're strong and you don't want to go see the doctor. But when you've got an ice pick driven through your testicles, uh, that's the time to go to the ER immediately. You don't wait till the next morning if no. somebody has just driven an ice pick through your penis. Yeah, Post haste. Textbook. Uh, again, I do not want to read these textbooks that you've been reading, but... Perhaps he had to unstick it from the board that it was nailed into. Oh. Again, why wouldn't you enlist a doctor's help with that? Why don't you call 911 and say, firefighters, come help me out? You don't wait till the next morning. I want to see the mugshot of this guy. I thought you were going to say you want to see the emergency room picture. No. Oh. Did he pass out and maybe he woke up the next morning? Ooh, that would be plausible. That, actually, that's a good one. That would be plausible. Um, the guy was charged. He was arrested, charged with aggravated kidnapping, domestic violence, aggravated sexual assault, domestic violence, mayhem, domestic violence, aggravated assault, domestic violence, uh, arrested Monday and booked into Salt Lake County Jail. I think we'll save our other genitals story for strange science tomorrow oh, because the one it's about all about um, making them smaller. Yeah. What happens in utero that makes... The size uh, different. I think uh, the genital desk just uh, became my new favorite. We could call it that. Like, that way we're not blatantly ripping off John and Ken's naked desk. Like, ours would be the genitals desk. Do we we build a whole new desk? Uh, Yeah. Or just borrow theirs? No, no, no. We would have to build our own. I mean, it's cleaner that way. Blake, do you think you could build one? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I love that optimism in that little guy. I know a hammer works, and I've never put it through a genital, so I'm pretty sure I could. Oh, you just jinxed yourself. That's a great idea. (laughs) Wear a cup when you do it, would you? Uh, Gary and Shanna will continue. Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for our annual KFI Pastathon to benefit Katarina's Club. We'll be broadcasting live our show 
Handle Show, Wake Up Call starting at 5 in the morning, all the way through the Conway Show at 10 o'clock at night. Love it if you would come on out, bring your donations of pasta and sauce, checks, cash, whatever it is. If you cannot make it out, you can still help, and you can find out how by going to pastathon.com for more information. Well, there was just nothing but class this morning at the Washington uh, National Cathedral today to honor George H.W. Bush. Karen Travers covered uh, the funeral today, the state funeral there in Washington, joins us now. Karen, something, that was something to behold today, huh? Oh, it really was. It was, you know, it was emotional. It was sentimental. It was almost of a different era, but it was also humorous. I mean, there was a big theme from all of the eulogists was George H.W. Bush's sense of humor and how much he loved a good joke. And there was little moments sprinkled throughout the speeches. Certainly broke up what was a very emotional event for the family, for the former cabinet members and longtime staffers that worked for the former president, and the invited guests of several hundred people. Well, you mentioned the guests there. What we saw when watching it on television, of course, was the line of living presidents from uh, President Trump all the way through President Carter, and then the Bush family on the other side of the aisle. But there, who else was there? Foreign dignitaries, some of the other names of people who were there. German Chancellor Angela Merkel was there. Britain's Prince Charles was there. Several former world leaders who had their tenures at the same time as George H.W. Bush. And also members of his cabinet. You had Dick Cheney, who was there, who served in both Bush administrations. Colin Powell, who also served in both administrations. Members of the Supreme Court were there. Current and former members of Congress from both parties. And there were even members of the White House press corps that covered the Bush 41 administration who were invited as guests. Of course, our own Anne Compton and Sam Donaldson were there and said it was just quite a moment to be with so many people from a long ago era and reflecting on how much Washington has changed. Yeah, you you just think about the experience in that room and the mm-hmm. number of huge national moments that these people have been a part of in, in our nation's history. Uh, former Senator Alan Simpson was uh, one of the people who remembered George H.W. today, of course, a Republican from Wyoming, three terms in the Senate there, was on the short list for VP uh, when when Bush was looking over candidates in, in 88. He talked about humor and he talked about uh, the, the former president's love mm-hmm. of jokes and things like that. He said he started write, uh, writing the eulogy a handful of years ago when uh, the, mm-hmm. the former president was in the hospital. And he got up and said, you know, I, I can, I'm only going to speak for 10 minutes. That's what he told me I could do. And he wasn't being funny. He was being very serious, he said, just 10 minutes. And even George W. Bush referenced Alan Simpson saying that his father put his great value on a good joke, and that's why he asked his good friend to speak. And Alan Simpson's eulogy certainly had the crowd laughing, you know, wiping tears, but those were tears of happiness. And he noted H.W.'s sense of humor. He had this great laugh, but he said he could never remember the punchline when he was telling a joke. That was the best. And that came right after the other line that was a that was just an absolute jaw dropper about, you know, if you uh, try to take the high road of humility in Washington, D.C., there's not a lot of traffic. That was a great line. I don't know if that's one he uses all the time. I had not heard it before, but it's certainly one that stuck with a lot of us who were there. So that's a really good way of putting it in this town. I thought something that was um, that George W. Bush said in his eulogy sort of harkened back to what we found uh, out in the first eulogy of the day from John Meacham, the historian and biographer. And what George W. said was, 
dad didn't really talk about his service too much, mm-hmm. his time in the service. But John Meacham definitely outlined the importance of, you know, having been a 20-year-old pilot shot down after a bombing run over Japan and how that uh, inalterably changed the course of his life. And in so many ways. I mean, it drove him into a life of service. It uh, helped shape his values and the commitment to public service and, and how much good can be done through that. But I thought the way George W. put it, too, was that this is a person who escaped death twice at a young age. He described the staph infection his dad had in his teenage years that put him close to death. And then the rest of the, the incident that you mentioned of being shot down while he was a naval aviator. And he said that that's what drove his dad to basically squeeze every moment out of life. That's why he did things so quickly. He operated at full throttle or sleep, and that was it. Everything was go, 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 but because he valued uh, how precious life was. And he said, but he was also somebody that wasn't ever too busy to stop and share his love of life with the people around him. One of my favorite things was George W.'s eulogy, which just seems so uh, personal uh, mm-hmm. in a very public arena. It was very personal. And the anecdote about James Baker, who was um, H.W.'s secretary of state and then chief of staff, who smuggled into George H.W.'s <laughs> hospital room a steak and a bottle of vodka because yeah. <laughs> the two went well together. I thought that was a really <laughs> sweet moment. And you know what I loved about that, too, is that this is a former president giving a eulogy for his father, former president, which had never happened before in this type of circumstance. And it wasn't about his dad's uh, legacy in politics. It wasn't about his dad's list of accomplishments as president, statesman, and all of those years in public service. He was talking about him as a dad. And, of course, he did reference that, you know, he believes he'll be remembered as a great president, uh, one who served with dignity and honor. But otherwise, this is something that so many people can relate to a father talking or a son talking about his father talking about uh him being a grandfather and a good husband and everything just felt so personal and i covered the bush 43 administration and one thing about george w is that he wears his emotions on his face i mean you could always tell when he was cranky with the press or if he was anxious or whatever he was feeling and to see him break down like that at the end was just so striking because We've seen him be emotional, but he always had tried to contain it. You know, he scrunches up his mouth or bites on the side of his cheek. And at the end of that, he just let go. And that was really, really a powerful moment. Yeah. Karen, thanks for your perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you. Karen Travers there reporting for KFI and ABC on the uh, the, the funeral uh, ceremony today, to call it that, from uh, for former President George H.W. Bush. You mentioned this while we were listening to George W. Bush in the office before we started the show, and it was a reminder of what a great speaker he is. Just, if nothing else, just in sheer communication. He was just good at getting his message across, whether it was flowery or elegant, probably not very often for him, but he was good at getting his message across. So I thought that was was a great observation. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk more uh, about Washington, D.C., specifically one of the issues that's going on with Robert Mueller. And finally, that court document that was filed yesterday, the sentencing recommendation for former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and what this means going forward. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 
Hey, coming up in the one o'clock hour, a couple of uh, a couple of guests are actually going to be coming in. Steve Heitner, remember him as uh, Kenny Banya from Seinfeld. He's going to be in the studio. We're going to be talking about his new podcast and some cool stuff. Also, the father of NFL quarterback Andrew Luck, Oliver Luck. I can't wait to us. talk to him about a variety of things. Well, Oliver, I mean, he's running XFL, right. and that's like what he's allegedly coming to talk to us about. And the, the bravery with which his son has fought the Civil War. Absolutely. That Twitter <laughs> account is incredible. Yeah. And it blew everyone's mind when it was truly authored by Andrew Luck. But right. if you know Andrew Luck, you know how smart he is and how much into history he is. So it shouldn't be a surprise. Well, we, we continue with Swamp Watch. Bob Mueller says former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn cooperated with them so much that they not they they say they don't want to recommend any jail time for him. Aaron Kantursky is uh, covering this for us and joins us now. Aaron, what do you know? We know that Michael Flynn has given substantial assistance to the special counsel, and uh, it's been so helpful that the special counsel recommended no jail time, no prison time for Michael Flynn when he sentenced later this month. The full extent of his cooperation was not made clear. Uh, in fact, the document, the sentencing uh, memorandum was heavily redacted, but it did reveal that Flynn has been giving the special counsel's office a window into the Trump transition team and those members that were talking to Russian government officials. Could you refresh our recollection on what Michael Flynn was hooked up for, uh, what, what the charges were, what the accusations were? He lied about his contacts with then-Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak uh, during his time on the Trump uh, transition and perhaps beyond. And he was the, the, the first uh, Trump transition uh, official that was able to, to give the special counsel an understanding about the interactions between those uh, Trump transition officials and senior uh, government officials from Russia. And, and while the document did not name names, it does raise questions about who these people are, who were the Trump transition officials that were talking to the Russians, why were they talking, what was the substance of those conversations. That gets straight at the the heart of the matter for Robert Mueller. Uh, at this point, we've seen a lot of people involved, and I guess to put it in a sort of a cartoonish sense, we've seen a lot of smoke, but there has been no smoking gun in terms of collusion yet in, in the 2016 election. President Trump says that's because there isn't any or wasn't any. And so that may yet turn out to be the case. Uh, But clearly, the special counsel was focused on conversations that were had by senior members of the the Trump transition that were in touch with members of the the Russian government. Uh, We know that 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 list of names includes uh, Tom Barrack, who was uh, in charge of the inauguration, and includes Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, uh, it includes Rick Gates, who was then a top advisor to Paul Manafort, and it includes Michael Flynn. And uh, Flynn apparently has been singing like a canary. He met with the special counsel's office 19 times, so it, it, it's likely hours of cooperation, turned over documents, turned over communications, and 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 that's the sum total that we know of of the uh, of the cooperation. The president has repeatedly talked about what a great guy Paul Manafort is and how this is so unfair. Uh, he's also talked about his former attorney Michael Cohen and how he's a dirtbag. Where does he come down on Flynn? I'm trying to remember what his his no, Flynn he said has been treated unfairly. Uh, you know, he said that he had to be fired because he lied to Mike Pence, but the um but the the, the president has always seemed to be to have been sympathetic to to Flynn. 
But we know that he has never been kind to those who flip and cooperate, whereas he reserves his Twitter praise for those who seem to resist the special counsel. Michael Flynn was not resisting. The, the guy who was leading the locker-up chance at the at the the Republican convention is now you know fully cooperative with the with the special counsel, um, so much so that the special counsel says he doesn't have to be locked up. Another big court document comes out, I believe, Friday when uh, Bob Mueller's team outlines what they say Paul Manafort was lying to them about. That's uh, highly anticipated, right? Well, I think it'll be the first time that they outline the, the, the substance of the accusation. And it, it, it is a stark contrast where Michael Flynn is you know, said to be substantially cooperative. Manafort broke the terms of his deal and, and lied, according to, to, to Robert Mueller's team. We should also learn on Friday where the government comes down on, on Michael Cohen and whether they think he needs to be serving any time for the crimes to which he's pleaded guilty. Aaron, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Aaron Katursky there with the latest on yesterday's big deal about Michael Flynn and the uh, recommendation of no prison time from the special counsel. All right. Uh, reminder, Friday we are going to be live at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for this year's KFI Pastathon. Come on out with money donations or pasta and sauce. We'll have, at least last year, I know we're going to have it again this year, giant big rigs on hand to handle all of the no- donations because you guys are incredible. More importantly, we will also have on hand uh, John Cobalt in a robe. He wears a robe every year for a for a price, and this year should be no different. Mm. I'm hearing I'm hearing that it might be an animal print robe this year. We usually we, we try to switch up the 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 color and the material of the robe, but we've got some cool auction items to tell you about. Uh, we have a Dodgers game with us in the luxury suite at Dodger Stadium. It's a beautiful suite right along third baseline there that you can bid on. It is always a great time. You know, there's you have a couple dogs, have a couple beers, watch the, the, the Dodgers make their, their way back to the World Series, probably. And listen, not to brag, <laughs> but I'm going to brag here a second. As of an hour ago, that was the highest auction item. The bid was the highest on that auction item. Mm-hmm. The bid now for the speaking part in the Gary and Shannon Christmas Carol production, December 21st, that's even higher. So those two things, we have the top two auction items on the pastathon.com that, that's a auction. little that's a little braggy that's a little braggy you guys did a good job of promoting it last hour thank yeah. you monica you're welcome you deserve a little brag sure right. i mean we are the the better time clearly uh so there's that yeah you can check it all out pastathon.com not only information about what's going on on friday but a way for you to donate if you can't make it out there the pasta and sauce donation drop-off locations if you can't make it out there, and how it is that you can go to a Smart and Final store, any Smart and Final store, California, Arizona, Nevada, and ask the cashier about that $10 donation. So all of that, pastathon.com. But in all honesty, we'd love to see you out there. All right, coming up next, Seinfeld star Steve Heitner joins us all about his new podcast and a Festivus contest. We'll tell you all about it when we return to Gary and Shannon. Oh, stacks on the playback, I do it all. Gary and Shannon. 
I like it when we have visitors. We, uh, it's nice to get distracted every once in a while. We spent a good section of the uh, first part of our show today talking about the funeral ceremony today for former President George H.W. Bush. Just it was an, fitting. It was classy. Beautiful. It was, it was perfect. So well done. And the, um, the I guess, benefit that the family had knowing that he was not in great health and they all had opportunities to say goodbye. And uh, Barbara Bush, one of the granddaughters, said that one of the last things that he said to her was how beautiful she looked that day. And then you heard George W. Bush in his eulogy, which was also wonderful. I want to play the last couple minutes of it because he, he was able to tell the very human side of who George H.W. Bush was as his father because the historian John Meacham came and gave sort of a, a countdown of his life from his service in the Navy uh, all the way up through his time in Congress and uh, working with the CIA and then as president. And then Brian Mulroney, the former Canadian prime minister, came and sort of as a contemporary of his both um, in time, obviously, was serving the leader of Canada at the time that George W. Bush, or George H.W. Bush was the president but just their their shared you know international experience together, and then Alan Simpson, the former senator, who was a longtime friend, you said it went back to the '60s. I didn't realize yeah. they'd been friends that long, and just the cool stories that they had of sort of behind the scenes stuff. And then George W. Bush gets up, and he's able to fill in this picture that had been painted of George H. W. Bush with the the fatherly side, the 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 advisor side and all of this. And I've said it before today, but it truly was so personal. It it wasn't a political eulogy. It was a it was a eulogy for a son that you would hear at a private funeral, but this played out internationally and he really let us in on some of the personal moments with his dad and uh, personal moments of George H.W.'s uh, personality and humor. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmasked skill, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st president of the United States said this, we cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us? Or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship? Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding mom's hand again. Just great. And then the family 
following the casket out of the National Cathedral as the casket was placed into the hearse by the uh, members of the military honor guard, the pallbearers that carried the casket, and then again making an appearance at Joint Base Andrews when they get onto the airplane that's usually Air Force One. In this case, it's Special Air Mission 41 to take the body back to Texas. The, the body, the casket, will there lie in repose at a church in Houston overnight, and then tomorrow is the official burial. It'll be transferred to College Station, Texas, and the, um, the George H.W. Bush Library. In, I mean, when you think about this, even in comparison, I think, and there were a lot of similarities between this and the funeral that we saw just a couple of months ago for John McCain, but this one was, to me, I, I had sort of a, a, a softer uh, tone to it, I guess. And part of that, I think, is just the personality of the men involved. John McCain honored for a lot of the same things that George H.W. Bush was in terms of his, his qualities as a father. And like you were talking earlier, his qualities even as a politician to reach across the aisle and unapologetically make deals with the other side that this one was a, a had an angle to it that I think was a little bit softer than the one with John McCain. But just just because they're just different people. So I loved all the anecdotes about him parachuting out of a plane at 90 years old to, to the church that his parents were wed in, that he would go and pray in just in case something didn't work out. He could <laughs> land there uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, down to the the first flight that we heard about today um, when he was 20 years old and shot down and just the character he showed at such a young age waiting for um, waiting for the other people to get out before he deployed. And it was just it seemed like a life full, filled with character and integrity from start to finish. Yeah. And he was conscious of it. He was conscious of all of that and the importance of service to his country and to um, to the guys that he left behind, the crew that ended up dying after his plane was shot down. So um, we'll pay attention tomorrow when the uh, actual funeral is there in uh, College Station, Texas. But for the most part, today was the big day in terms of the national memorial, the national remembrance for the president. All right, coming back, uh, John and Ken coming up next. Reminder, Postathon on Friday. Find the information at postathon.com. Keep those bids coming. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views, premium seats in all rows, and connected tech, while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy nonstop routes to summer, because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to 3500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, 3500 on 2020 Rogue consists of 3000 cash back and 500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 76 2020